I think people only know what they want once you show it to them. Nobody, I mean, nobody will be setting up traditional franchise dealer networks to import new model introductions. If you want to kill a brand, that will be a very good start. Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. My name is Tom Hunt, your host, and in this episode, we're going to be focused on the future of automotive retail. And to guide us through this topic, we have the star expert, Artem Yakovenko. We have a partner at PwC, Simon Strom. And actually, we found Simon after a seminal white paper here while PwC and himself authored on the topic. And then we are also joined by Martin Sewell, who is the managing director of Rocker, who are doing some really, really interesting stuff with Jaguar Land Rover, as we will hear later in this episode. And so Artem is going to be guiding us through this discussion, and we're going to be touching upon the role that car dealerships will play in the future. We'll be talking about how automotive retail is changing and how specific new trends are impacting that, such as the car subscription services, car vending machines, and third-party vehicle e-commerce. And so let's jump into the discussion, and we're actually going to jump right to the first question, which is a little bit unusual, but I'll hand you over now to Artem. Please welcome our guests. Today we'll be talking to Simon Strom and Martin Sewell, and it will be extremely interesting to talk to them today. So welcome, Martin and Simon. How are you these days? Thank you. Very well, thank you. You? Pretty well. So although on our end, uh, we are slowly returning to the offices, so I'm happy to be here today. Good. Great to be on your show. So you, Simon, based in Germany, right, at the moment? Yes. Currently, I'm based in Berlin. That is correct. Where Tesla is about to build a new factory. <laughs> so that puts Berlin on the map, on the automotive map. Awesome news. You, Martin, you are in the UK at the moment, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in the UK. I'm in the heart of the country. In a little village called uh, Silverstone, I guess that's probably give you a point of reference, but between London and York, where we, we have offices. Absolutely. Martin, how do you think the automotive retail is changing? It's changing significantly, and it's had to. I mean, let's face it, the automotive industry has been the last bastion of old school retail, really. And I think it's hardly surprising when you consider the complexity of motor retail. You've got a very expensive product that could be a stock car or a bespoke built car and you've got multiple finance packages and variations around that financing for you as a consumer but of course as a retailer or an oem you're in a position where you're buying something back off a consumer as well so a trading and you might need to be arranging test drives and arranging the delivery and so the complexity of e-commerce automotive is more significant than than perhaps selling a set of earphones where you just add a, a buy button on. So to deliver true full end-to-end e-commerce where you're selling configurable items and you're buying something often, it'll ha- have to happen in real time. It's complex. So no wonder it's been slow to come to fruition. We were the first pioneers of automotive e-commerce and we launched the first platform back in 2014. I think everybody thought yeah, it'll never catch on. You know, people are still going to want to drive out to grubby industrial estates and go through showroom doors and negotiate with car salespeople. And as we, we're now realizing, or the, the industry is realizing, that that isn't the case. 
especially the younger demographics. And they're the people that are going to change the business model by choice. They're just completely not used to having to walk into somewhere, not knowing how much they're going to pay for their product or how much they'll get for their trade-in or what the finance rate is. They're used to doing all that kind of stuff online. So for the car industry not to address these needs of society, then they're going to alienate themselves and eventually go out of business. I think there's so many examples of other industries that were slow to change. I mean, we probably, Artem, you're probably too young to remember this, but blockbusters, yes, we used to go to higher videos and Netflix comes along and blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. But it was just the fact that that Netflix introduced uh, the ability to, to stream the videos. It was the ridiculous late fees that killed it off. So Netflix didn't just digitize traditional processes. They reinvented the customer proposition. And that's what's happening now. So we need to reinvent the proposition for the motor industry. And actually, based on the, what you've just said, I believe it's obvious that the uh, inevitable digital transformation uh, will play the major role in car buying experience uh, for the next few years. So. How strong the impact could be? Simon, would you provide any feedback on that? I think to take one step back, and I agree with Martin, there are several factors that will drive a few of the further digitization or the digital transformation in the next few years. First of all, and this has been something that's bothered the, the manufacturers for a long time, it's the cost of retail. So retail, cost of retail is high. You have all these dealerships out there with a lot of structure, the requirements that the OEM put on the investors to build them are high, very expensive. They audit them. And then the utilization is going down. People are doing more and more online. We heard that already. So uh, manufacturers are venturing into digital sales models, direct sales models. So that will further drive this development, direct sales, digital sales. And the COVID lockdown further or lockdowns for COVID further put pressure on the OEMs to drive this development forward. Because if you don't have digital access to your customers when dealerships have to close, you're really lost. The March, April, and May in many markets showed that pretty clearly. And they have other problems to take care of. So they need to redesign the way they go to the market away from dealerships to digital sales models because the cost of EVs to develop them is very high. German manufacturers, has, they have to worry about diesel gate and the market as a total is slowing down. So maybe you're, in some countries we are you know, struggling 20% behind prior year. So yeah, definitely we will see a digital transformation in car sales with accelerated speed in the next years to come. Yeah, would agree here that COVID actually affects a lot the industry and it's the nature we, we need to deal at the moment, right? And here I'd like to ask Martin, what role do you think the dealership will play in the future? As there is a statistics saying that like millennials need to pack their dislike at the moment with 56% saying that they would rather clean their homes than negotiate with a car dealer. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, all these surveys that come out, they pretty much say the same. And you know what, it's been the same for the last 20 years. In my early career, I was working for Volkswagen Group and researching new ways of uh, retailing cars and service and parts. We were getting the same sort of feedback then. And, and obviously, as I was saying in my earlier answer about 
we need to adapt to the needs of society. And, and it's exactly those demographics there that just do not enjoy going to a car dealership. You know, my, I've got a 26 year old son. He said, dad, so you're telling me I've, I've got to drive somewhere and I've got to negotiate. I can't do it on my phone. And it, it's totally alien to them to, to think that they've got to go through that linear sales process with a physical person. In regard to, to the role, I mean, we're doing now already, and we have been for a number of years, 65% of our business is done completely online. So away from the physical store. So we're a little bit different. We don't have a car dealership on industrial estate somewhere. We have a boutique store in a shopping mall in the Westfield, London, six cars in there. So people can go there if they want the physical experience. And quite often it's an access point for them in terms of bumping into the brand, understanding that the cost of entry is not prohibitive and they may start their journey in that store, but then they're going away and transacting online. So as I say, 65% of them are transacting online and, and this isn't a rare thing. So when you understand that we've only been retailing Jaguar Land Rovers out this mile for three years, we did it from a standing start with a zero database and we're now the number one retailer of Land Rovers in the UK. So we've overtaken all the traditional car showrooms. And so we're selling cars in significant volume. So the data and the learnings we're getting from all of that can prove and, and blow all the myths away that people don't buy cars online and indeed very expensive cars online. So average value of £62,500. Your question specifically was, what role will people take? Um, and we're operating, trying to operate an omni-channel model, or, or now we're referring to customer channel, because whatever channel the customer wishes to interact with us as a business. And, you know, there are people that are always going to want that physical experience, but what they don't want, and if I refer you back to my analogy around Netflix and Blockbuster, they don't want the traditional process. They want a more contemporary experience so an immersive brand experience so all the time they spend in the physical location is is having fun learning about the brand being educated about what it can do for them and their lifestyle and understanding your proposition going away and being able to buy that vehicle via digital sources so e-commerce platforms with what 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 where when kind of attitude so entirely down to the consumer so not that sort of arriving at the car showroom and being forced down a digital linear sales process of meet, greet, qualify, present and part exchange valuation and close the customer on the day and don't let them walk and get all their details. Quite the reverse. The consumer wants to be able to shop anonymously, be that physical or digital, and only when they're ready will they want to give you those details. And quite often that's not going to be the first point they bump into you as a brand. So we don't see that car dealers per se are going to di disappear. What we think they, their role will change. So it will be more about delivering those immersive brand experiences and interacting with the product physically, but allowing the customer to transact on their terms through digital sources. What a good insight from your side. Thanks, Martin. So Simon, well, the automotive e-commerce was approximately 1% of total sales in 2018 back. So what needs to happen for this to push to 10 to 40, like other industries? To quote Steve Jobs, I think people only know what they want once you show <laughs> it to them. Agreed. And now you see more brands establishing fully functional e-commerce processes, transactional also, not just looking at the vehicle and doing the configuration, but also actually buying it online. And as those models are deployed, I think we will see an increase of that ratio 
uh, steady as we go. And I think that the impact of that trend will be much higher in the volume segment than perhaps in the premium segment. I'm not saying that people will not buy premium cars online. They do, as Martin has you know, demonstrated. I think that percentage definitely will go up over the next couple of years, in particular since more and more people grow up and have a driver's license that are very used to, to doing everything online and they don't really see the point in going to a dealership to look at a car, which is, there is perhaps four or five build options. There's not so much you can do. And you've seen it out in the streets and it's there as, as car sharing car. You can try it out. So definitely. But there will still be a role for the dealership. We must not forget that after sales is, is a very big part of the vehicle experience and the brand experience. So some kind of physical capacity out there to look after cars when they are in the market, but probably structured in another way, will still be very important for car manufacturers to keep their customers happy. I think Simon's absolutely right. The customers don't know what they know until they've, they've got it. And I think that's very much the case for the automotive industry. They're very confused what e-commerce is. And all e-commerce is not the same. I quite often give an analogy that I could drive to Silverstone racetrack in my, in my car to race Lewis Hamilton in his car, but I'm never going to win because Lewis Hamilton's is fit for purpose and, and it's going to win. But, and, and the automotive industry is very confused about what actually e-commerce is. And I think if you ask them, they go, oh yeah, we're online. No, you're advertising pictures of cars with an inquire button on, and that is not e-commerce. That's simple advertising and, and lead generation. And could you imagine if Amazon followed the same track? So, you know, you've just researched your barbecue, you've selected Prime and, and you found the one you want, you read the reviews, it's a great product, you click checkout and it says, great, thanks for your inquiry. Our agent will get in contact with you in maybe 24 to 48 hours. Well, it would never be the size it is because that's not what the consumer wants. But mainly the motor industry thinks it's online because it, it offers a reservation or inquiry, and that's simply not e-commerce. Yeah, that's true. And what do you think? We have like several generations at the moment, right? Like millennials and that generation. So how do you envision what would be the most influencer for the automotive moving forward? So is it still like millennials from the very beginning, or we're going to be taking care of that generation later on? So with over 7,000 sales done through our platform now, we can see a very clear pattern changing and people quite often ask me where are we getting all this incremental volume from and it's certainly in the under 30s they're just consumers that you would not expect to buy Jaguar Land Rovers and more females so and you can see that through all the data we're generating that said all generations are happy to transact online if you look at the demographic sectors of 20 to 30 30 to 40 40 to 50 and 50 to 60 and so on, the differential between online and physical experience with our business model is very, very slight indeed. But it's the addition of a, a younger demographic and more female that's, that's driving the volume through the business and the, ultimately the change. Absolutely. So, Simon, would you agree with this statement? Yeah, I believe before COVID, our research showed that through models like car sharing models, etc., you will have a, through a higher utilization of vehicles, you will have probably pretty much the same number of cars in a market, but with a much higher replacement rate. Yeah. So that would certainly be good news for the manufacturers. But now with COVID, 
a trend that we see in, in mainland Europe at least is that people, the number of driver's licenses, applications for driver's license, is going up again because more people want to get into a personal vehicles mm. as opposed to going with public transportation. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I believe individual mobility will be very important. But the form of ownership, if you rent or subscribe or buy, that is going to be much more differentiated than perhaps uh, 15 years ago. Totally agree. Absolutely. Considering that generation, they are more focused on the car sharing rather than owning the vehicle, right? So it's also going to affect the situation around the automotive moving forward. They don't want to own a car necessarily, but they are prepared to pay for mobility, individual mobility. Yeah, I think that the need for your own space has changed everybody's thinking over the next 12-month period, hasn't it, Simon, for sure? I think we see the most popular funding method certainly here in the UK is a PCP-based product, which is a residual value product. So the payments are lower and everybody's bothered about the monthly budgeting. That, that's all they're, they're worried about. You know, when you, when you think about it logically, the value of a car, there's no point in trying to amass value in a vehicle that's going to depreciate. You only ever realize that value when the government takes the driving license off you and you have to sell it. <laughs> So it makes far more sense to just pay a, a payment for your mobility rather than outright purchase or, or striving to pay a bank loan off to own the car outright. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to jump in here and say that if you are enjoying this discussion, then you will definitely enjoy Star's trend report on the future of automotive retail. Simply just send an email to automotive at star.global. That's automotive at star.global. And we'll get that report right back to you. Let's run through some examples uh, to hear our thoughts uh, on the following innovations and uh, why these are happening now and will they last. So I would address it to Marlin first. So the new automotive retail experiences, right? So based in the Rockers, Jaguar and Land Rover store, for example. First and foremost, what we have there is our world showcase. Because primarily Rockcar is a technology company and we provide a pioneering e-commerce platform under license to other brands and other OEMs and, and now even for, for dealer groups. And obviously they recognize that data that we've generated over the last seven years of trading with that platform clearly demonstrates the desire from the general public to buy cars this way. From a customer satisfaction point, Trustpilot is an independent survey here in the UK. Our rock car business, our world showcase is the number one rated Jaguar Land Rover business of all the other traditional dealer groups. There was a survey done independently last year to all the car buyers from Rock Car, and they were asked, having used a Rock Car business model, would you ever use a traditional dealer again? And it was 100% of the sample said absolutely not. So I'm pretty clear that our business model is a complete sea change from the traditional business model. Whether that stays exactly, our model stays exactly the same for the next 10 years, who knows? We're very agile. We know the e-commerce element is probably going to be around for a long, long time. What we're not quite so clear on is the physical representation inside a shopping mall, for example, whether that's got true longevity. I think the fact that some of the world's largest and most well-known global OEMs are investing in e-commerce systems. They're changing their franchise agreements to direct sales agreements, as Simon was referencing earlier on engaging Rockcar to white label their our platform, help them with store consultations. I would say this is signposting that our business model is going to be around a while. 
You look at Tesla. Tesla here in the UK was a very unknown brand in 2014, but last year they announced that they were going to start closing some of their physical stores because of that very strategy. By placing the products or brands in high footfall areas, they quickly educated the whole UK what Tesla were about. And now they're pivoting away from physical and, and just relying more online e-commerce presence. And there are a number of brands out there globally that uh, are being born. I think somebody told me last year there's over 100 new brands in China, but they couldn't enter most of the European markets because of the cost to entry, setting up an importer, setting up franchise dealer networks, and all those costs, exactly what Simon was saying earlier on. So they'll be looking to come into markets very strategically, very much like a rock car stroke Tesla model, showing, showcasing brands in high fall areas and supporting with an e-commerce model. They, nobody, I mean, nobody will be setting up traditional franchise dealer networks to import new model introductions. It's too expensive. It's already suffering. And there are a number of factors out like, like EV introduction, electric vehicles. It's going to wreak havoc on their after-sales departments because you suddenly use all the labor-rich, part-rich work of oil filters, spark plugs, you know, cam belts, all the stuff that the mechanics are always working, that just disappears. It's been changed the motor, changed the fuse and tires and brakes. It's, it's, it's going to transform the landscape, really. Yeah, and here at SAR, we've performed the research uh, for the upcoming trends in retail. And uh, one of the trends uh, was also the car subscription services. And here I would like to ask Simon, what's your vision on such services? So like Cluno we have at the moment, right? I think that they will experience an increase in growing market share over the, the next years. Volvo has shown that clients like this solution even in not-so-premium segments. The first companies to start out were companies like Porsche, but and Volvo will certainly consider themselves as premium by now, but they are also in the volume segment. And uh, so I think that will definitely work, and we will see much more of that going forward across the brands. And it would also, it, it has to be an integrated part of your online offering. So if, for example, if you go into to a website like Ford or Volvo for that matter, then you first you look for the car, the vehicle that you're interested in. And the next step would then be to see what are you interested in doing, buying, financing, leasing or subscription. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also one of the new trends was definitely the car vending machines. So, Martin, what do you think about that? Like, we have examples, good examples like Ford and uh, Alibaba here. How do you envision? Uh, to be honest, I think it's a bit gimmicky. I think it's part of the marketing. I don't think the consumer is that bothered whether it comes out of a vending machine or the back of a delivery truck. Uh, you know, we, we offer our consumers the opportunity to come to the Westfield to pick their cars up or deliver to their home. And, you know, nearly 80% of the people are saying, you know, I'll just deliver it to my home. I don't think they really want to stand at the bottom of a big vending machine and wait for their car to pop out. And that's on the assumption that you've got all the inventory sitting on the ground to keep filling up these silos. So in terms of a distribution strategy, it's neither cost effective or perhaps that desirable for the consumer, but hats off to the guys that uh, decided to do it that way and um, make a statement. But I, I don't think it's a viable model for the future. And I don't think we'll be seeing great big glass silos in every town in every country in the very near future. So you don't foresee this like uh, to be moving forward, right, Trent? 
I don't think you see that as a moving forward trend whatsoever. <laughs> if you want to kill a brand, that would be a very good start. <laughs> yeah. So show them how many unsold cars you've got <laughs> from miles around. Yeah, not not a smart move, but a very good marketing stunt. Very good up with that. All right, all right. So Simon, also, what about third-party vehicle e-commerce? So we have a few good examples like Kazoo, like CarMax in UK. Also, we have the uh, Carvana, right, in US. So how do you see? I worked in China for six years, and uh, so I know that this is out there. But I think and for volume manufacturers, for many, probably this will be inevitable. They will have to go on platforms like that to uh, achieve their volume targets. But I think for any manufacturers, if you want to maintain a price premium, you need to stay away from those. Understood. Maureen, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think Kazoo's a really interesting one here in the UK. A guy headed up by a guy called Alex Chesterman and a very visionary guy and, and has done really well in all industries that he's worked in. And um, he's recognized that, you know, whilst new cars being very slow to adopt to e-commerce, the traditional used car approach is probably, you know, that element that people most associate with the car salespeople and that sort of experience you're going to get. So he's digitized that process and you select your car online, it's delivered straight to your door. So I think there's there's a couple of others that are about to follow him in, in the UK. And I think his success is demonstrating that that's exactly what the consumers want to do. I think it's making both dealers sit up and smell the coffee properly for the first time, as well as OEMs. Because if you look at most OEMs, when they consider going online, they think about the new car piece only. They don't think about the used cars. But you know, to be an effective retailer of new cars, you need to be able to dispose of the used cars you generate. And you shouldn't be differentiating your proposition based on your use at, at the point of sale. So I think some of these guys are going to put a lot of pressure on the traditional industry to change. And I, I think as well as COVID, these are the, these are the operations that are accelerating that change. And um, to take Simon's point about OEMs, if they want to sell more cars, get on some of these aggregation price aggregation platforms. Again, that's because they can't sell the inventory they've got because you're asking consumers to go down the traditional sales process, drive to the industrial state, go to the showroom, negotiate your price. But they've invested in their own platforms, invest in their own omni-sales channel strategies, read the data it generates. You can order your, your inventory matched on consumer demand, not on what a planner thinks they should build, etc., it's all going to speed up and become more efficient and effective. Right. The code itself really accelerated the automotive industry in terms of digitalization. So that's for sure. I know that uh, we are short in time, but the last one question, which I would address to both of you guys. So what do you think the car buying process will look like in uh, five, 10 years? So let's start with you, Simon. I think that the car buying process in perhaps 10 years will be very much or to a great extent also influenced by what you can do inside the vehicle. So scouting for new vehicles and uh, experience the brand will can also happen inside the vehicles through different interaction features. When you're standing still, that could involve watching a video, but it could also be to talk to somebody who understands uh, a very sophisticated vehicle while you're driving to understand the function as part of a test drive or in the first two months when you are using it. So the vehicle and the connectivity will play a much bigger role in the sales process and in the experience process 
than it, it does today. Because it, to be true, uh, you know, the other areas where we have connectivity, work and at home, we are much better off than in the car. The connectivity in the car is the least connected area, which is why so many other industry players want to get inside the vehicle with their connectivity solutions. Definitely, connectivity would be the driver here. Yeah, and Martin, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think all cars will be retailed through digital sources, whether that's done at home where in the, from the comfort of your own armchair through a rock style platform, or indeed at a point of sale location, the, the, the physical location. As I described earlier on, you know, people will still want that physical experience, but then they won't want to go through the traditional 100-year-old sales process that they're that the industry has been perpetuating for far too long. Are there any uh, new potential trends you can foresee for the car buying process moving forward? Interestingly, again, using our, our very data-rich environment that we've got, we can see that most of the key motivators are speed of delivery over discount. So it's never discount that is the biggest motivator in terms of getting people to add the basket. It's, it's speed of delivery. So I think OEMs need to think about that factory gate logistics process, adopting a, perhaps a, a B2C. So cutting out all that wasted time and journey of dropping cars in compounds, moving them out to dealers, then doing another PDI checks and, and then delivering them to customers. You know, if you think about it, a car should come off the production line absolutely factory perfect. We should be applying the number plates on there and distributing them straight to the consumer. So therefore cutting down all the um, wasted time and the damage to the environment, but speeding up the product to the consumer, which is absolutely what they want. Hey guys, I would like to thank you very much for this fruitful discussion, for those insights. Uh, I was really happy to have this chat with you. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. Again, if you would like to learn more about the state, the future of automotive retail, then you can get access to Star's trend report on this topic. Simply send an email to automotive at star.global. That is automotive at star.global. And please leave us a rating and review on wherever you're listening to this episode. It gives us feedback. It helps us improve. And finally, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.